0: Bonjour, mes amis. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hi, love. Happy Wednesday. So excited to spend this time with you today. I don't know about you, but I have just felt so heavy recently with everything that is... Going on in the world, I've reached a point where I feel like I can't even look at my news app or listen to the news podcast that I listen to every night, which is new for me, no pun intended, news new, um, because it ju- I just feel like I've reached the tipping point of heaviness. So I wanted to do an episode today that is light and share some fun stories that folks have asked about over the years and some big picture life lessons let us kind of – Get out under the weightiness of what is happening and dream, reflect, look towards the future. I am often asked if I have a blog post or something that shares about my career in musical theater. If you are not familiar, that was my last career before I became an entrepreneur. And I'm going to share a little bit of that uh, origin story with you today. And uh, So if you have questions afterwards, send me a DM. We'll see what I left out or didn't cover that you're curious about. But I hope that you enjoy some stories in here and also, most importantly, take some inspiration for yourself or people that you love, whatever their dream. This is absolutely not just related to performing. I think there is so much in here for all of us. So 10 tips, 10 lessons that I have pulled out. Lesson number one is... You don't know until you try. I got into dance when I was three or four years old. My mom put me in as something to uh, entertain me and pass the time, as many parents do, put your kid in something having no idea that I had any aptitude for this, any desire. She easily could have put me in uh, soccer or in, you know, hula hoop class. (laughs) Um, So I think that so often... I see this specifically with entrepreneurs. They are trying to figure out what their talent is before they will get in and try something. And we just don't know that. We we have to be willing to just put ourselves out there and try new things in order to see if we have aptitude. That is true when you are three and four. It also is true when you are 34 to have that same willingness of, I didn't know, but I didn't know it was going to lead to this whole career. My mom didn't know it was going to be lead to this whole career. I just did something to try. And what if we had more of that childlike openness, the way that we are maybe with our kids to let them try a lot of things? What if we still gave ourselves that permission? Lesson number two is everyone has weaknesses within their strengths. So I naturally did have a great aptitude as a Early little kid for dance. I had great port de bras, which is your arms and uh, presentation. I enjoyed being on stage. I was graceful. I was coordinated. I picked up steps quickly and remembered the choreography. But friend, I am... I've got to literally be the least flexible dancer that God has ever created on this green earth. I mean, it makes no sense how someone who could have been dancing 20 hours a week all throughout their formative years when we're the most flexible and, you know, our, we have the most space between our bones or whatever, you know, kids are, kids are so bendy and flexible that during that time I had still had so little flexibility. In every direction, not only my legs, like my splits in any direction, in any of my extensions where you're trying to kick your leg up in any which way, in my back when you're trying to lean back or you're trying to lift your leg up behind you, just all over, my body is so not flexible that it scares me. What would my, what would I have been like if I hadn't done dance, if I hadn't been stretching all of those years? Would I have been like hobbled like a little old lady by the age of 15? But at the time, I think now, we I just feel like we have more information <laughs> these days. We, um, at our disposal maybe with the internet and YouTube, and I feel like we are just more knowledgeable about health overall, as opposed to you just go to your doctor and that's all there is. You, go, you take your kid to the doctor for the checkup. So I wish that some adults in my life Any of the dance teachers that I had or either of my parents had said, does this seem unusual? Does it seem unusual that you would have someone who is in class this often and that she's so much less flexible than any of the other kids? I wonder if there's anything we could do about this. I'm curious if we took her to a physical therapist, if there might be some specific stretches, some specific muscles, et cetera, that we could work on and no one, no one thought, asked why. No one really slowed down to ever, nor did I at that young age, say, this doesn't really make sense, right? Is there anything more that I can do than what the teachers that I have right now are are doing? And that so hindered me later on in my career. And it also is noteworthy to me that it wasn't just the curiosity of Huh, I wonder if we could do something to fix that. But the awareness of this really is going to be a, a, you know, a hindrance to her. And I was very self-conscious of it. I was very aware that I I was the – um I was Sleeping Beauty in Sleeping Beauty's Ballet. And I was very proud to have the lead in that. But I also was very self-conscious because – I knew what a ballerina was supposed to look like with her legs. And I knew that my legs did not look like that. My friend Amanda's did. And um, so I was aware of this. And yet I don't. I think as a kid you aren't in that problem-solving mode of I wonder what else I would do here. Um, and I, I think that this is a great encouragement for us child or adult with anyone in our lives. If we see that someone has an area of strength And yet within that there's a weakness, for us to note that in one another, not in a bad way, like, hey, that's a weakness, but in terms of can we have creative ideas for how somebody could work on that, that really is how we support someone's dreams is helping them problem solve any of the areas of weakness and roadblock that they're going to come up against. But I think, again, specifically, I'll probably mention entrepreneurship a lot in here because That's really where I interact with fellow adults most often now as far as dreams and hearing what people's dreams are and what's holding them back. And I think that that awareness a lot of times of our weaknesses stops us from even getting started. Because when you're 40, you're able to look at the landscape and be like, okay, I'm good at this, 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 but I'm also not good at that, that, that. So probably this isn't going to work. And if I'd been able to do that at eight years old, I would have quit something that Became my career, moved me to New York, changed my life. I mean, I'm so grateful that I wasn't, as a kid, able to say, you know, I'm just not 100% brilliant and perfect at this, so I'm just going to quit now and not even try. But I see so much of that in us as adults. Lesson three is to expand your area, that you can be multi-passionate if it's all kind of creative momentum, I think this is another thing that trips us up is feeling like we've got to pick one thing. We have to pick one thing to be when we grow up. We have to pick one specific business to start. Or I see a lot of people who are multi-passionate and they have so many disparate things that they're not at all related. And I find that those people who have the most success are when they expand on the things they're already interested in. They find these tie-ins, and it's like their creative bubble gets bigger because now there's different angles they could come at. There's different strengths. So for me, that would have been singing, that I was doing theater when I was a kid, doing plays. I was dancing. I started doing musicals in junior high, and again, no, none of the adults around me said You know, if you're interested in theater and acting and dance, you should take some singing lessons because that's really going to help round you out. You should get into choir so that you learn how to read music. Um, And no one else, again, brought that kind of to the table. And so I see where I really could have expanded even further in my abilities. Again, if someone else had encouraged me. And I think that – that's why it's so important that we are in supportive communities. I think we can just be that as friends. But I also think it's the value of being in um, in private communities, in a mastermind for entrepreneurs, in my uh, private community within my style class. On the style side, I think that being in those spaces where we're saying, hey, let me know if you see any blind spots, and I'm also going to see the things that you're doing to move forward, and that's going to be inspiration to me, because no one else at my dance studio was taking singing lessons, but also nobody else is doing theater. Nobody else at my school was taking singing lessons who wasn't already a singer. So I just didn't have any of those models, nor did I have the mentors, the teachers, the parents, no one else was saying this. And I feel like we can look at that at, you know, 11 years old and be like, oh, that's such a shame. But I hear that today in the messages I get from, you know, a 29-year-old or a 49-year-old and realize you don't have the people around you. That are your your peers and your mentors who are kind of modeling and helping encourage you in that. Um, Lesson number four goes along with that, which is it's hard to dream what we haven't seen modeled. So not only did I not know anyone going to physical therapy for their dance body or going to singing lessons who was a dancer and an actor, I also didn't see anyone doing this as a career. It never occurred to me it could be a career. It never occurred to my parents that it could be a career. So I think they were not taking it as seriously as um, as I think maybe a lot of my friends' parents were who had a little bit more of that vision. And I think that that, again, is why it's important for us to Be in those supportive communities, but I think also take ownership in a way that we can't always when we're a kid. Now, some kids have amazing vision that they know exactly what they want to do with the rest of their lives at 11. I was a little more, I call myself a a realistic romantic. Like I had big dreams, but I also was like, I mean, let's be honest. It's not like I'm making money as a dancer, right? Like no one does that. So I didn't have those kind of grandiose visions that some kids have. They're like, I'm going to be in the Olympics. And then they actually go forth and do it. So I needed to, to have those examples in my life because I didn't have it within myself. Now, as an adult, we can have a lot more of that wisdom to say, this is, I, I, I think that I could do this. I see other people doing this. But not only did I not know anyone who had it as a career, the only person I knew who was above me, there was a girl named April at my church who was a dancer, beautiful dancer. And she was the one model I had And I remember that she regretted having danced all throughout high school because she realized she didn't want to go on to become a professional dancer and she felt she had missed out on so much of high school. She missed out on proms and all sorts of things because she was in dance. So I had that one model to go off of and it's a major reason why I quit dance when I got to high school. Because I was like, well, I've got this one model and she says she regretted it. And what was kind of the point in putting so much work into something that wasn't going to become your career, right? And again, it's why it is valuable for us to be in communities and for us to not base our whole life or vision on one person, one person that you follow on Instagram that you've decided has the way, or one person in your life who told you this is the answer, Um, because that was the right decision for her, and she didn't go on to have a career. Um, And Obviously, spoiler, it turned out okay for me, but I actually did go on to have a career. And meanwhile, how many people have I interacted with between theater professors and dance teachers and parents and no one has – other people's parents would say, you know, so are you thinking that you'll go to Broadway after this? And I got – I was just too realistic. I was like, no. I mean, I was like, I know I'm the best one here, but like I go to a small high school – I think there's millions of girls like me all across the country. I just didn't have those kind of delusions of grandeur and no one said back to me like, "Well, you know, there's regional theater or you could become a choreographer or you could like just no one really expanded on that. And I think maybe with with the age of social media and things like that, we have a lot more of those visions. We see millionaires out of, you know, TikTok stars who are 16 years old or something, but At the time, we just didn't really have that vision. So I did quit when I went to high school, and then I also went to a not particularly theater school. I went to Pepperdine University. We had absolutely no dance program. So for eight years, I did not take a dance class. I did the musical every year when I was uh, in college, but I didn't have any dance training from like 13 to 22. Which brings me to Lesson 6, and we're going to get into a little bit of story time here, which is that life is preparation plus providence. So I was very blessed that the very first tap teacher that I had at my first studio when I was 3 or 4 years old, Miss Betsy Melber, she runs her own studio now, Agora Dance Studio in California, she she was an incredible tap teacher, and when I switched studios – Because the jazz teacher had an affair with the owner's husband. Just kind of wild to look back on how scandalous that is. Like, that's like Real Housewives of Orange County stuff. I don't even watch that show, but you know what I mean? Um, But it's also interesting how at the time I was too young... Like we didn't – we weren't really thinking about like what sex meant and all of that. But anyways, the studio crumbled because the favorite jazz teacher had to be fired. And then the husband left and went and started his own dance studio. His was whole thing. So we left, went to a new studio, and I had another brilliant tap teacher named Michelle Fayard. So I was so blessed that in the thing that was my aptitude, I told you I didn't have the flexibility, ballet was not going to be my thing. Um, I, I move like a ballerina though, so hip hop was not going to be my thing. There was nary a modern dance teacher. I don't really remember having any training in that or, you know, considering that. But tap happened to be my strength and I also had two amazing teachers so that even though I hadn't taken class in eight years. Now, I had done one tap musical in that time. Nope, two. One in high school and one in college. I did 42nd Street in high school, and I did 42nd Street in college. Other than that, I don't think I'd really even tapped in between the few months that I was doing each of those shows, maybe a dance, you know, a, a talent show here or there. But I decided going into my senior year, my big brother figure in college said, I think you need to try auditioning for a year or you're going to regret it. Like, just just try it and know. Um, so I had this plan. I was going to go get my master's in student affairs and university administration. I thought I wanted to work at a university like my dad, but I didn't want to be a teacher professor. So I was going to go get a master's degree. I was going to do regional theater in Southern California in the evening. And I was going to work at Banana Republic to pay my rent. Um, My parents thought this was ludicrous. They were like, there's no way that you're going to be able to make enough money working at Banana Republic to support yourself. Um, And actually, I think I then decided to defer grad school for a year because I realized I couldn't do all of this. My big dream was to be a choreographer. That's what I thought. I will work my way up in the Southern California musical theater scene as an, as a dance captain, as an assistant choreographer. As a choreographer, that was the career that I was going after. So I got a gig right before I graduated from college. And um, I was going to leave in six weeks or something like that. And I was the dance captain or the assistant choreographer or something. So it seemed like such a great plum gig to be doing. Um, but, so I wasn't looking at any other auditions that were happening because I already had a job. And yet that same big brother figure, he was looking at auditions and he saw a, that 42nd Street, the same show that I had done so many times, um, big tap show. The Broadway show was now going on tour, which happens about a year after a Broadway show opens. And by the way, I had never been to New York City. I had never seen a Broadway show. I had no idea what was happening in Broadway. I had been very blessed to spend time in London growing up, and I had seen a lot of West End productions, but I had never even been to New York City. I would have had no awareness. Like now I think theater kids would be looking at, okay, what's up on Broadway now? Those things are going to be going on tour in a year. I had absolutely no idea. So he's like, there's an audition for 42nd Street. I don't even know if he said what, what for. Just it's 42nd Street. I think you should go. Um, He took me shopping at Salvation Army, such a good friend, put together this really cute outfit for me so I looked like a 19 – Uh, Because I think they were very specific in what you needed to wear for the audition. So went to Salvation Army, pulled together an outfit for like $10 that he like hemmed the little shorts for me or whatever. I went in. I had gotten a job for – until I left for my show as a receptionist in the president's office at Pepperdine University, walked into my first day and said that I needed to take the second day off for this audition, which just tiny little note there. How often do we – would someone not go on that because – just, it's inconvenient, it's awkward, it's embarrassing, you just, you know, and yet, it was a job answering phones. I mean, it wasn't a huge thing, but I imagine I was terrified and mortified to have to ask for the day off. Like, that's just, that's high maintenance, that makes me sound unprofessional, whatever. Thankfully, the woman who was running out was like, no worries, take off to go on this this audition and it, obviously I'm terrified. It's the biggest, uh, one of the biggest auditions I've ever been on. And I make it to the end of the day and get a callback, And I'm just in my car on my tiny little, you know, flip phone, cell phone at the time, calling the, the friend Matt, who had helped me being like, oh my gosh, I, I, I got a callback! I I, I I can't even believe this. Like, all I wanted to do was do well at the audition, you know, and have actually got a call back. So then I had to go back, ask for another day off of work, go to the callback. This time, As I'm leaving, again, it's going very well. And I'm like, I can't believe how well this is going. They pull me aside and they give me a packet at – oh, actually, after the first day, I remember they pulled me aside and said, come back tomorrow wearing exactly this. Like, they knew I was the vision of what the – choreographer wanted and now I know he just had very little imagination he wanted people to look like exactly what um that he wanted them to look like so and and people who got the show commented like that they remembered my outfit um so little random aside too that like branding and those details and those first impressions matter like the work that I put into I'm gonna drive into LA go to Salvation Army put together this outfit Doesn't mean I wouldn't have gotten it without it. We don't want to come from a place of fear about it. But um, sometimes those little, you know, putting in the extra effort can matter. So uh, second day, they pull me aside and give me a uh, manila envelope and ask me to come back in and audition for the lead role of Peggy Sawyer. And I am just gobsmacked. Like, I didn't get the lead role of Peggy Sawyer at my college, and I don't even go to a big theater college. Like, it is not occurring to me that someone on a Broadway level is even going to consider that I could be a lead in this kind of production. Like, I just got into the car and wept. I was so overwhelmed. Like, I, I got choked up even just thinking about it. Like it has just never occurred to me that someone could see me in that light that people who were so professional and so experienced um, could see me in that light. Because even just pursuing it for a year, that was my friend Matt saying, I think you need to give this a try. You know, there weren't a lot of people in my life really saying, oh my gosh, you could do this. And I also don't blame them because this lesson of life is preparation plus providence, I went to college with a lot of talented theater people and people who had the leads in lots of other – Things um, more often, specifically in in theater, and I'm sorry, in musical theater, because they were better singers. And if a different tour had been auditioning that summer, I would have a different life. I mean, it's so wild to imagine how many years earlier a producer, a director, someone had to start the ball rolling to say, "We should do a revival of Forty Second Street." And the amount of years that that takes to put that together, find the funding, get the right theater to be available, all of that stuff, to to put a cast together so that a year later it's about to go out on tour. There also is a whole other story for another day about the fact that we were the first um, – it was called the special agreement contract. We were the guinea pigs for a new type of contract in the actors' union. Where the producers went to the union and said, we can't – This the show is so huge. It's like a 70 – I don't know, I think it was 72 people traveling with us. There's 24 girls in it. It's a really big cast. Huge costumes. Just a very expensive show. And they said, we can't afford to do this at – equity, which is the actor's union, at equity salaries. So either we need you to compromise on the salaries or we'll send it out non-union, which means then there, you know no union jobs are getting it. So it was the first time that the actor's union had ever conceded on this. And that was a huge part of it that I had no idea at the time, that there were so many people that were in the union that didn't want to compromise on their rates, understandably. That there was a lot of people that didn't audition for it, that left the room open for a lot of us to to have our first opportunities because they weren't also in the room competing. So there's so many things that have to go into being at the right place at the right time. And I think that that to me has always been such a huge part of my humility of just how I see life because I'm just so aware of how blessed I was to have this opportunity and how much of it was not because I worked hard enough and I took big enough risks, you know? And I think that some people could feel disempowered by that. I, I feel enlivened by the humility that life is not just about how hard I grind and how hard I push, that there also is an element of providence and God's timing and destiny and all of those things balanced with that preparation. I was an exceptional tap dancer. I looked the part. I dressed the part. I I was so familiar with that show. I had performed that role of Peggy Sawyer in high school. Um, I had just done the show in college, so even coming in and doing the sides and the scenes, I already had the, sh- the show memorized. I knew all of that. Um, granted, I'm sure my vocal performance was not good. I mean, imagine being so young, so green, walking in, and they have flown in 12 people from New York who are behind this table, there was only like four of us at the whole audition place that day. I mean, there was very few of us that were being considered for different roles. And in hindsight, I'm sure what I was being looked at was an understudy for that role, not the actual role. The girl who got the role had like multiple Broadway credits. Um, But I I think that there – it is so important to me to to remember that that concept of life is preparation and providence where – We have a lot of humility for what happens, and yet we also know it is about putting in the hard work, having the courage. It did take courage to go to that audition, but I also would say lesson seven is listen to your gut. I say this a lot to my entrepreneur students. I think, again, we want to have humility. We want to have wisdom and seek out expert advice and other opinions. But I also think at the core, we have a lot more insight about our lives than we give ourselves credit for. And sometimes we can see that looking back, like when we were younger and when we were overanalyzing less and when it felt like there was less on the line. So I had gotten that job that I mentioned for the summer as the assistant choreographer, it was going to be down in San Diego. And to, to save money, there were people in the community that had opened up their homes and you were going to be living in someone's home as the cast housing. I can't describe to you what a knot it puts in my stomach, the idea of having to live in someone else's house. I don't know if you can relate. I don't know where this comes from. But that fact alone, I, I don't know. I don't like to be a burden. I don't like to feel observed. I don't, I don't know. But as soon as I heard that detail, my stomach sank and I was, my stomach was in knots the whole rest of the time thinking about going and doing this job. I just wasn't excited about it. Now, maybe I would have gotten down there and it would have been totally fine. Coolest family ever. Realize it's actually like a mother-in-law suite out back. It was so, you know, but I just, that sounded miserable to me. And it's so noteworthy to me to notice that that was a, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. Versus when I got, when I had even the idea that I might get this show, I, it was, I want to do this, but I'm terrified. It wasn't a no. It was a yes, and that's terrifying. Versus a, "Mm, I kind of don't want to do this. I remember distinctly saying to my mother or a friend or someone i or my boyfriend maybe that I was more scared to get it because I knew I couldn't say no. If they said I didn't get it, I'd be like, oh, okay. All right. But if they said I got it, I knew I wasn't going to say no. And that was so overwhelming to me to comprehend. So I was back at that receptionist job at the president's uh, office, having taken off three days total now throughout a couple of weeks to, um, throughout a week or two to go to these auditions and I got the call the casting director was British her name was Sarah it was just a moment that changed my life and um there's just there's just elements of the story that I just will never forget when something like that happens um and she called and offered me the job. And I started crying. She's like, are you okay? I said, yes. I was like, I I said, just I'm taking notes. Like keep, keep talking. I'm just, I'm going to write down whatever you say. And then she said, you know, at the end, she's like, do you have any questions? And I said, um, where, where are we going? And I guess, again, it's so wild to think back in hindsight. Now it's such an obvious thing to me. I understand the way a tour works, but at the time I just had no idea. And I think that, I just, I have such empathy for some of my entrepreneur students who have that sense of like, I don't even know how this works. I don't even know what to ask. Like, I remember the things in the coming weeks that came were like, what do you pack what do you pack for two weeks on the road? I mean, I hadn't stayed in that many hotels in my life. It was like, do I need to pack an iron? Do hotels have irons? I mean, just, I remember some of the things I was just trying to, how do you live out of two suitcases? I just can't comprehend it. Now I told, I, A, I do it all the time, <laughs> like travel for one month, three months, no big deal. Now I totally understand the way a tour works, but at the time, I just couldn't even comprehend, like, what exactly are we doing? Where are we even going? And she said, well, being from um, Los Angeles, you'll be thrilled to know that we, um, that you're performing at the Amundsen for two months. And I just lost it. Like, it was like it took on a whole other level of, oh my gosh, this is what this means. Because when I, when I was in high school, my friends and I loved the musical Rent and we knew all the words we i remember one time (laughs) we got pulled over by a cop because um we were playing our music too loud in the car and it was rent (laughs) i mean i feel like that really encapsulates who i was at 17 years old that like the only trouble i was going to get into was for like blasting my musical theater tunes too loud with my friends so i remember that we went to um And I feel like I've told the story in the podcast before, but I can't think of what episode it would have been in. So I don't know if I did or not. But um, we went to see Rent at the Amundsen. Neil Patrick Harris was the lead. We went there to see the matinee. And then afterwards, we went to the stage door. And my friend Monica really wanted to get his autograph. And then she was just too nervous and chickened out. And then we watched them walk off to like go get a meal before the night show. And we're just a bunch of theater kids. Like we're just like, all we want is to be cast in the school musical for free. And these people are actually getting to do it for their job. And then we, I just remember us being like, how amazing that they just go get to hang out between shows. Like they're just going to go get dinner and then come back and do this again. And so having stood at that door, never thinking, like I just wasn't that kid that was like, one day this is going to be me. I'm going to be here someday signing these autographs. Like it just was that other wave of, oh my gosh, like this is really happening to me. And it never occurred to me that something this cool would ever, ever happen you know, in my life. So I remember walking because I was on campus. I remember walking over to my theater teacher's office and knocking on her door. I'm just hysterically in tears. And I'm like, I just got a Broadway tour. I was like, I'm going to New York. I've never been to New York. Like, and she pulled out her um her Rolodex, I'm sure at the time. Probably wasn't online. It probably was like an actual physical thing on her desk. And she's going. And she's I mean, she's a theater teacher, of course. She's very dramatic. She's like losing. She's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Okay. All right. What do we need to do? Focus. Okay, so um, who do we know in New York? We gotta find some people that we know in New York. And she's going through looking for like any students she can think of that have moved to New York because almost no one from my school has done this. Um, and um, I just – I go back to th- I, I, the overwhelm of all of those moments and yet that fact that I never occurred to me to say no is where I think your gut really knows these things. Like your gut knows If you should be in this romantic relationship or not, your gut knows if you will always regret it if you don't try this thing. And that doesn't mean that you aren't going to make mistakes. You're not going to go on auditions that you don't get or take a job that turns out to be really bad. It doesn't mean that everything's smooth sailing. But I do think that when I was the most terrified, I mean – I'd never – I don't know if I'd ever been on an airplane by myself. I fly across country to a city I've never been to. I cried the entire way there. So many people on the plane kept asking me if I was okay. They probably thought I was going to a funeral. And um, and yet, I never imagined saying no. And you can see from these different elements of the story, it it wasn't because I was such this like gutsy girl with gumption and I think – that part of my story is always so important for me to share because i think that people look at someone who has built what i've built now on the entrepreneur side and feels like i have some next level of drive and vision and courage that that they don't have and I just look at who I was in junior high, and high school, and in college, and I was like, I was not – I didn't have the plans that I think most people would look at my life and figure that there was something in my DNA. And that's why I so often come back to saying, I truly have nothing in my story that you don't have. There isn't something in my personality that led me to build something, that, be someone that could take these leaps and build this thing. It truly was – was just the, the providence and the way my story unfolded. And therefore, I know so many other stories can unfold that way. And the other, kind of going back to lesson six of life is preparation and providence, um, the way that I got my second big break was the same. Um, I did not really know what the Radio City Rockettes was. I had seen them on the Christmas show. I know they stood in a line and kicked, or sorry, on the Thanksgiving Day Parade. I knew they stood in a line and kicked. I, I didn't have a clear memory I didn't really get it. Again, this is before we've got, like, YouTube and stuff where you can just go watch bootleg things on the internet. So I don't remember what happened last Thanksgiving. But I get in to the cast of 42nd Street, and all the girls are obsessed with the Rockettes. And I soon come to find out the Rockettes is one of the best performing gigs that you can get. Because unlike Broadway shows that... That open and then they might close very quickly. They might, you know, you they might last for a few months or even a year, but then they close and that's it. And everybody disbands and you got to go find a new job. But the Rockettes happens every single year. And unlike a Broadway show that has one cast, the Rockettes has two casts in New York. Plus, at the time there was maybe four touring companies, so you've got six times the amount of people. They're getting cast, and it happens every year, and a lot of people get rehired. And there was also something at the time for actual Rockettes. There was like a legacy list. It was basically tenure. Basically, you could get tenure. And especially for a Rockette, which I was not tall enough to be a Rockette, but – and again, the flexibility issue. that It doesn't even matter that I wasn't too tall. I can't kick my face, but it's just easier to start with the first thing. Well, I wasn't tall enough. Um, But especially for the Rockettes, they would – at least at the time, they would get like their dance lessons paid for all year and their dance clothes. Like there was kind of all these – it was sort of this – You know, back when people used to be under contract with MGM or those old Hollywood studios to do all the black and white movie musicals, it was kind of a holdover from that. The Rockettes has been around since the 30s, and a lot of that had still continued where there was almost this sense of, you know, you were kind of a a Rockette year-round, even though you were only performing for three months, and they would really take care of you in a lot of other ways, and you had this possibility for tenure and whatever, so... People were so obsessed with the show. I remember going to see it when we were on tour and being like, I don't really get it. Like, I'll be honest, I did not love the show. I it was It's like very aggressive cheerleading <laughs> um, for the ensemble, which is what I would, excuse me, have been auditioning for. I wasn't like, that's me. I'm going to see it. Um, I was like, all right, fine. So everybody is trying to get off for the auditions. Only two girls from our cast can be – no maybe only one girl from the cast could be off for vacation anytime, one or two. You have swings, which are like understudies for everyone in the ensemble, but they can't let everybody leave at the same time because what if somebody gets sick? What if somebody gets hurt? So it was kind of hard. You had to put your vacation requests in ahead of time. So everyone's wondering when these auditions are gonna be. Well, my dad taught this big, uh, ran this big Christian conference every year in LA. And so I'd already put on in my vacation request to be off that week in LA. Months before... The, uh, months later, the audition dates get announced and I'm the only girl in the whole cast that is off for that week and I'm already going to be in LA and that's where the auditions are. So now it feels like, well, I've got to go. All of my friends would love to be able to go and I'm the one that's actually there. So again, back to that Providence. I mean, I had no idea that that, you know, it was pure, pure luck. So I go to the audition and I get caught immediately. I go to the dancer call. I don't even make it past the first round. I'm like, well, out of here, okay. But I've been working on my, um, on my audition song with my musical director of the of the of Forty Second Street, and I told him that I was going to go to this audition. You know, because I'm trying to get better at my singings, which I should have been doing in college. I should have been doing in high school, but nobody was telling me this. So I, um, now I'm working on it as a twenty something, and so I say to them, if we got caught from the dance call today, is it? is it appropriate to come back for the singer call tomorrow? And they're like, oh yeah, sure. Again, just a little note there. How many people would have said, well, I'm too embarrassed to come back or they probably just don't like me. They probably don't want me. So I go back, which is, I- I'm amazed at myself now that I, d- I drive like through LA traffic to go sing 16 bars. Guys, 16 bars is like 25 seconds of a song. But I was young and energetic. And so today I'm like, oh, that sounds exhausting. There's no way I would do that. But that's what actors have to do. So- I get in there just to go sing my song, and I end up getting kept all throughout the whole day. Now, I didn't realize the singers just sing with a track. I mean, you kind of got to be able to sing, but you're singing over a track, like a pre-recorded track as well. So it's a very different bar for singing. Really, the dancers are point ballerinas, which was not my strength. We know I quit ballet a long time ago. So I was never going to get that dancer track. But even my friends hadn't really walked me through that. Whereas the singer-dancer track, you had to be like a okay singer. It was really more about your aesthetic. And did you have this kind of like Disney-esque, you know, cheerleader vibe or whatever. So one of those times, again, where – You got to try in order to know. I'm surrounded by all these people who have done the Rockettes show. Now, granted, most of them were were Rockettes, so they maybe weren't paying attention to the tracks, but even being surrounded by that many people, I had to go to the audition to find out, oh, yeah, this doesn't really seem like it's me. Well, let me go to this other one, which I'm sure I'm wrong for. Oh, wait a minute. I'm right for this? In the same way that you have to test out, like, should I do a podcast or should I do YouTube or should I start a course or should I... Should the course be on this topic or that topic or, again, my world really as far as dreams is entrepreneurship. For you, it may be other things. Would I like, how do I feel about dating someone who has kids from a previous relationship or whatever it is? Will this eating plan work for me? Would keto feel good in my body? We got to try these things in order to know and so often we want to, I find that we want to have all the information. We want to research the heck out of it because we have the, the, the internet, which, again, Again, I didn't have at that time to go stalk all of these YouTube videos and really try to figure it out or go to forums or I don't know what you would do these days. But I think now, I think there was a a bliss to that ignorance. You literally had to walk in the room to figure it out. And now we sit behind our computers and we try to figure it out with our 10 fingers. And I just don't think you're going to know until you really, you know, get into the room. And then there was another element of providence that I – I must have, because I know that a lot of previous people tend to get rehired, there had, and I know they try to fit different, you know, different hair colors and things like that in each cast. There's only six girls in each cast and they're going to have ethnic diversity and whatever. So probably that year there was a specific cast that needed, that had a hole for a brunette girl. There was a brunette girl that got another job, but she got a Broadway show at the last minute. And so she, not the last minute, but you know she turned it down. She wasn't there at the auditions. Whereas if it had been a previous year, they would have been looking for an Asian girl or they would have been looking for a redhead. So even within that, it wasn't necessarily just my talent, but being at the right time. And I see that with my students as well. You know, The topics that you want to teach on or whether you... Whether video is your thing or you want to be a speaker or you want to be an author, just how much of it is putting it out there and trusting that if this is what you're meant to do, there are also other elements of providence that are happening in there. Excuse me. So lesson number eight, as we wind down here, is you can have a great life without being exceptional at something. So I had an amazing career in musical theater compared to 99% of the people out there in the world who dream of this. I did a Broadway tour for a year and a half. I traveled the world. I did four seasons with the Radio City Rockettes. I got to originate lead roles in regional theater, perform at other amazing regional theaters, work with some phenomenal directors and choreographers. But I also knew all along that there were ceilings with that. I wasn't flexible. I specifically remember an audition for Beauty and the Beast where there was a kick line and we did it once. And then the choreographer said, let's do that again. Uh, Hillary, can you kick any higher? And I said, I can try. (laughs) It was just a really good answer. I can try. But I knew like, no, he wants me to be able to kick his face. And from the time that I was five years old, my body has never done that. And it doesn't matter how hard I try right now. In the same way that you're like, you know – Being on camera is not my thing or graphic design is not my – I don't know. Whatever it is that you're like – now in entrepreneurship, you can hire that out. You can find someone else on your team to balance that. But as a a performer, it was too late for me at 25 to completely change what my body was. I wasn't a powerhouse singer. Again, I was still taking voice lessons, but it was – It was too late. I'd had, like, you know, I just, I think if I had maybe started when I was 11 instead of when I was 21, maybe there would have been a a difference. I saw that from a lot of other performers, they did have a background in, oh, in order to get into the great theater programs like Carnegie Mellon and University of Michigan, you have to have the preparation in high school to get the training that allows you to be competitive to get in there. So some of these kids were going to magnet schools at 14 for that. So you had to know when you were 13 that, that this is what you had an aptitude and a passion for and what you potentially wanted to do. No one in my life ever mentioned the idea of auditioning for a theater scholarship. Then I got to college and I had all these friends that had auditioned all these places. And I was like, this is, you know, so interesting. So I just didn't have the background that many did, and I, I've always, again, been very rational and had that self-awareness while also being the optimistic, uh, you know, romantic end dreamer. So I knew the whole time that I was auditioning in New York that I wasn't exceptional. I knew that I was good. I knew I was not delusional. I would get callbacks. I would get kept through rounds. When you audition in New York, there are a lot of people, not a lot, there are plenty of people that are delusional. They're never getting cut. Now, I would be very factual about this. I kept in the back of my day planner, I would track what my um, what my stats were like I was a baseball player. So I would track every season. How many auditions did I go on? How many times did I make it past the first cut, the second cut, get asked to sing, get a callback, et cetera. And I saw every season that my stats went up. And I knew you're you're if you're delusional, you're not getting past the first cut not to mention getting callbacks and all these other things and so I knew I was I was good I knew there were areas where I was great I knew what my strengths were when um Legally Blonde became a musical I made it pretty far in um the initial rounds for it because I was like these girls are all going for a very sexy Elle Woods-esque vibe They've got boobs. I don't have. They're blonde. I'm not. And so I just made a call at the audition at the last minute to to be the awkward girl. And I was like, I'm going to be I'm going to be the the treasurer of the sorority. Like I'm the one math major in the sorority and I maybe got in here because like I was someone's, you know, neighbor growing up or something like that. I don't really fit in with the rest of these girls or maybe they just needed like someone strong at math to be the, the treasurer or whatever. So somehow I ended up in this, in this coolest sorority on campus, but I do not fit in with the rest of them. I have glasses, my I, I can't walk in high heels, so I'm the only one not wearing them. So I just, there was times when... I found a way to play to my strengths of, you know, being a creative and being like, okay, I'm making it down to like final rounds for a Broadway show. I'm not delusional. But I just also always felt like there was something missing that I also therefore did not believe that I was delusional about. I think I talk about this in style when I talk about the 150% mirror that when we have areas of our body that we're insecure about, we see them as larger and more pronounced than everyone else, but they exist. Like my stomach is not totally flat. I don't think it's as big. I don't think you see it as as big and pronounced as I do. But I'm not crazy. I'm not obsessing over the fact that it's just not like the most perfect six pack. And you're like, what are you talking about? If you saw me naked, you'd be like, oh, yeah, okay. I see what you mean. So I really, again, think that we have gut instincts about these things. And there's such a balance between – are we puffing ourselves up too much, or more often, we are being too hard on ourselves? So, I would try to be really factual about this, but I just knew sometimes I would take a playbill and I would look at a show and I would go through and I would, would see okay, every white girl in this cast is understudying one of two roles. One of the roles is an older woman. So, you're gonna have some, you know, a, a, an older person in the ensemble who can kind of look young, kind of look old. That's not me. And the other two girls are understudying the lead girl. And that lead girl needs to be able to sing. Like, she just wails. And I'd be like, I can't – it was some, like, Elvis Elvis musical that I'm thinking of right now. Where I was just like, okay, there's not a role for me in this show. Like, I factually see the, the way that it works. So I knew that tap was the one area that I was exceptional um, and most of my jobs came through that. Even if it wasn't a tap show, I usually got it because the summer before I'd been in final rounds of callbacks for their tap show or for the lead in their their tap show. So then when a ensemble role came around the next summer, they're like, oh, we loved her last year, but we went non-union, so let's use her this year for whatever random show that we're doing. And I just think that that is really important to note because especially now when it feels like we're so saturated with everything that there is online – I think that it can be easy to say, well, I'm never going to be at that level. I'm never going to be able to write like Glennon Doyle. I'm never going to have as, you know, whoever the person is in your field, if you're in fitness, if you're in food, if you're in, you know, teaching business, whatever it is, I hear from people all the time, but that's so saturated. There's so many people that are doing it. And I think it also is this idea of, I'm not going to be able to compete at that level. But I had a great life and career without having to be the girl who gets and stars in 10 Broadway shows. And I just don't think a lot of us have that expectation for our lives. I think we feel like in a lot of ways it's kind of all or nothing. We either have this vision because we've seen so many crazy success stories now. So many more than us like children of the 90s saw when we didn't have – podcasts and youtube and social media and all these things so we weren't constantly inundated with everyone else's success and so many like 30 under 30 stories and overnight success stories and all of that that now i think that the pressure has been ratcheted up to feel like well but who am i and i'm like guys i go back to like i was just a girl standing in front of a boy, asking him to love her. No, I was just a girl. And yes, I had some great gifts, but I I knew that I wasn't necessarily the most exceptional and that, that you can still have a great career and a lot of success without that and without even needing to chase that and have that be your measure of success. On the other hand, I also listened to that poll that for myself, I did I did want to be exceptional. Not like the best in the world, but it for me it didn't feel fully good to know that. It wasn't like, a, oh, okay, I feel peaceful about that. That makes sense. I was like, I don't know what else to do, but I just I feel like I'm not as, quite as good at this as I want to be. And now, getting into entrepreneurship almost 10 years ago at this point, I feel so much more talented at entrepreneurship than I did at theater. And again, I had no idea before I started. That's a podcast for another day, but I did not set out to make a lot of money, to build a big business, to grow a following, to have a team, to impact the world. I just didn't want to cater anymore. I just didn't want to be a temp anymore. I just wanted to make a little bit of money on the side. That's all I was doing, and I had to get in before I realized you know, I'm actually pretty good at this and I also have this talent. And I didn't know that I was a copywriter. I didn't know that I understood marketing. Like, I didn't know that I had any of these things. Final two lessons. Number nine is there aren't explanations for everything. Um, after four years of The Rockettes, I didn't get hired my fifth year. And I have no idea why. And my friends in the show felt alarmed by this. <laughs> understandably, because it shakes them. Like something I noticed um, when Dave and Rachel Hollis announced that they were getting a divorce and there was so much vitriol online, what I saw in a lot of those comments was fear. If this can happen to you, then it can happen to me. And that makes me angry at, at, at life because I feel unsafe all of a sudden when actually your marriage has nothing to do with mine but it makes me feel unsafe because I've, I've told myself if I just work hard enough at it and you guys are people who worked hard at it I'll always be safe and now what I'm seeing reflected back to me is that people who work hard are still sometimes not safe in this area and I, that's what I saw with Rockettes as well I saw so many people saying Oh, everything happens for a reason. I'm sure there's going to be a reason for this. And I was like, I mean, back to that humility of providence, I was like, I don't necessarily think so. I I don't think that that's a helpful posture to have because then the only reason I'm okay with not getting it is because I'm building myself up that there's going to be a Broadway show that comes around this winter. And if I was on tour, I wouldn't be here and everyone else is going to be on tour. So I'm totally going to get it. It's going to be the perfect time and I'm going to see the way it all works out. You know, as I'm saying this for for the first time, I, it's occurring to me, maybe not getting that was laying the, the path to becoming an entrepreneur. I'd have to look back at the timeline to, to unpack that a little bit more. But would I have, I don't think I would have started a business if I had that If I had this recurring, I'm going to get a plum job again in three months. And then from there, I get health insurance for six more months. And like, you know, every year it was like there was just kind of this little window when the health insurance had run out, the unemployment had run out, you had to do some odd jobs, but auditions started again. And then you found out you were cast and you knew it was only going to be a little bit more time. So when you're only having to do that for a season and you have that hope that a show is coming back, it's easier to do the miserable jobs, right? But when, Suddenly that hasn't come back and now you're thinking – now for the first time ever after, what is this, five, six years at this point of doing this professionally, for the first time ever, I went a full year, I think, without doing a show. And that's where the tedium of, oh my gosh, I really hate these day jobs. This makes me feel so – unintelligent and unfulfilled and just exhausted because the work I'm doing is so mind-numbing. And so that's when I started to have the ideas of, well, what's, what's next? And I started thinking about going back to graduate school. Anyways, found entrepreneurship, you know, happily ever after story. But honestly, as I say this out loud, I realize probably closing that door was required To open up the other door or maybe it would have delayed when the other door opened and who knows how things would have been different at that point. But that's really been a pivotal story for me in my life belief that I don't think everything happens for a reason and I don't think we always know or I mean again I'm saying this over a decade later I'm having this aha of maybe that closed door was needed to open this one. But that's after a decade of not really being able to say, why did that thing happen? You know, why did I never get a, a a Broadway show here in New York? I don't know. I'd have to go back through every one of those shows and look at who's the woman that did get each one of those and what did it mean for her life and her trajectory? You know, did did one of them get it where... She had a parent pass away that year, and it was like her lifeline to have that to go back to. Did one of them meet her husband in in that? Um, did you know? What are the different stories that played out? Because theater is also a very unique, unique world. In that you see time and again, somebody gets this. Like now that I'm in entrepreneurship, there is no ceiling. We have not reached the ceiling where there can be no more wellness coaches or relationship experts or whatever. But there is one one girl is getting that spot in Mary Poppins. And all, I think I was in final callbacks for Mary Poppins seven times maybe, like a lot of times. So every time someone else is getting that and that is changing her life and her path and I don't know if we all got together now to see, would I be able to see like, you know what, that was so good for their lives. And I I had my own journey. I was going to be fulfilled, you know, through entrepreneurship instead. Um, but I think that we so often want, of course, we want to understand why it's happening. We want to see the perfect story. We want to know all the twists and turns. And I I find – that freedom in knowing there aren't always explanations for why something happened, even with with my students as we're walking through their launches, for example. And they're like, why did that webinar not sell better? Why did I not sell more of that product? There's data we can look at. There's stories we can look at. But I've used the example a lot that early on, early on, four or five years into my business, there were some things that I did, and I was in a mastermind at the time, And it worked so well in my business and I watched my mastermind sisters be like, oh my gosh, this is insane the way this is working for you. They tried to replicate it and it had made hardly any effect in any of their other businesses. And that's when I was just like, there was something about the right place, right time, right topic, right audience. There was a bunch of things that came together to skyrocket my business that year. And it wasn't necessarily a five-part plan that worked for any person, any time, any audience. And that even within business, we have to have that element of, there's not always an explanation. We're going to ask, we're going to be smart, we're going to analyze, we're not just going to kick back on the couch and be like, eh, oh well, but we're also always going to have that humility of, and, uh, there's there's got to be, there's going to be parts of it too that I don't understand. And then finally, lesson number 10 is you have more skills than you realize. There are so many things that I gleaned from being a professional performer that have blessed me in being an entrepreneur that I had no idea. I mean, resilience, um, (laughs) I think that performers are very very well suited to become entrepreneurs because you are so used to taking leaps, putting yourself out there, getting rejected, being uncertain, not knowing where your next paycheck's coming from, not having health insurance, what whatever all of the things are. Um that really set me up well then. It's it's a much bigger leap if you were making six figures at a day job with a ton of benefits and you left all of that to go become an entrepreneur. You had to walk away from a lot less. I had I had nowhere to go but up from where I was. I was barely making enough money to get by here. Um, I've said shared multiple times, t- twice. I claimed less than ten thousand dollars on my taxes in New York City. That I made ten thousand dollars in a year. Now I'm sure I was also getting paid like in cash for babysitting or maybe from um, from like waitressing tips. So, so I was making some more than that. But, I mean, I still don't think a lot more. Like, I literally could have qualified for food stamps, which, again, is why I'm like, if you struggle financially, know that from that place is where I then created a business that I now have far more financial security than I ever had when I was trying to find other people to hire me. Um, But I think pursuing something that I'm passionate about, my on-camera skills, obviously, as an actor... Right away, when I was teaching my online courses or when I was doing webinars, um, th- that was you know such a gift right away. But you have some other gift. You understand sales or copywriting, or you are organized as a project manager. I mean, most of us wouldn't see something like not having much money as a as a gift as a skill. But being okay, knowing already what it's like to not have a lot of money, like I said, that was a huge gift that I see as an impediment to some of my students who want to be entrepreneurs, but they've already got a pretty good job right now. It's making them miserable, but it's making them enough money, you know, or like, you know, more than enough money where they're terrified to walk away from that. So there are a lot of things like that that are are a gift, an aptitude, a skill that you don't even realize. And truly, I think that there is so much more that you can do and be in this world. This is not about entrepreneurship. This is not about the performing arts. My hope really in sharing this story is, um, one, to have some fun behind the scenes as a distraction in your day to day when you're listening to this, but also really to just plant some seeds to perhaps open up your vision a little bit more for yourself and the people you love in your life to believe that there are so many more stories, so many more possibilities, so many more dreams that are available to you if we will have a little bit more of the uh, wide-eyed innocence of the child that I was pre the internet age uh, to just Do things that bring us joy, not always be attached to the outcome, be willing to put ourselves out there, even if it means we might fail, not thinking that we have to be the most talented person in the room in order for us to be so satisfied by the experience that we have in something, and to really bring more joy and dreams into our lives, whatever that is for you. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately in the vein of choosing more joy, is unfollowing grief on Instagram. I've shared often here over the last year how very intentional I've become about who I'm following and with what ease I have hit the unfollow button. I follow only about 150 people now and I very easily. Hit follow on someone to, you know, really notice if I'm liking their content and then unfollow if I realize I keep scrolling past this and not really watching or consuming in this. And one area that I realized I had followed over the years were people who were going through grief. And sometimes sometimes I had followed them because I had heard of their story of grief. Trauma to a child, loss of a spouse, and um, there is something very compelling for us in that. And I see that because I watch how, when someone is going through grief, their follower count skyrockets. And that is wonderful in some ways because that's such a beautiful show of support for that person um, that, that that is amazing. But it also says something about us that we are drawn to that and to watching and observing. And I shared long ago on the podcast, back in the How to Be a Good Friend in Grief episode, that Nora McInerney, my girl crush. She had sent me a message on Instagram um, that I played because it was a video and so I just recorded it and I played her little audio where she said, rehearsing grief does not help. And I think that that's what some of us may be doing. I noticed that in myself. Am I trying to observe grief as though it will make it me more prepared when it happens to me? Am I trying to rehearse grief to, to get a sense of what it might be like if I was there? Now, I say this as someone who has never been through deep grief. Now, it doesn't mean I haven't had my heart broken, um, you know, through devastating breakups or betrayals, but I I haven't gone through a, uh, a death of someone incredibly close to me, um, a You know, a a parent, a sibling, a very best friend, et cetera. I have very, you know, I have known broader circle friends that have passed away, et cetera. But I'm very aware. I kind of see this is send me a, a DM on your thoughts on this, but I kind of see that there is this like before and after of grief. You either have experienced death and loss or you haven't. And I'm very aware that I'm on the side that hasn't. And maybe if you have, maybe you're following this because it makes you feel less alone. Um, you know, there, there may be other things I can only really speak to my side. I think it's almost like a safety preparation. Like, let me watch what's happening and see if this gives me the tools. And sometimes I'm following people that are so wise. And the things they're saying are really beautiful and, and poignant. And so it could be helpful in that way. But I think the value that I'm getting from it is few and far between. And that more often when I'm going to Instagram for beauty and inspiration and humor and insight and delight, there's these hard hits in between it. And choosing, I want to be able to go on and not end up being like, oh, I just, now I'm crying. I just read the saddest thing. Now, sometimes it's still going to happen because someone is going to go through grief all of a sudden you know, but if I know that this is consistently the story that someone's posting because it's the story they're walking through, then I realize I can unfollow and I can go at, I can go look at their profile when I want to. If I'm still curious about it, it doesn't mean that I never have to see what's going on with them again but I don't I can be more in control and I have found how healthy that has been for me to make my Instagram a lighter place And for me I still get, like news and activism things. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's all light and fluffy for me, but I just realized that grief in particular was something so weighty and maybe because in this season there's so much else that's weighty that I was just like, I I will, you know, pray for these people and wish them well, but my following them is not um, – I'm not doing anything to help them heal in their grief. You know, it's beautiful that they have the support, but also to an extent this is – this is not um, helping helping them in their grief. So I can kind of put on my own oxygen mask there first. And other mini thing that I'm loving lately is uh, your responses sp- on my brain. Speaking of musical theater today, if you go to my profile, I pinned an IG stories. I think maybe it's called dance. Um, I was just having so many exhausting brain days creating recently. And um, I went on and I had just... Anyways, I'll tell you the story over there. I went to look for a Taylor Swift song to jump around to to, like, get my my energy up. And I typed in Taylor and up came the song Taylor the Latte Boy by Christine Chenoweth, which just took me back to my musical theater childhood days. And I just ended up, you know, um, doing a, a little mini performance, which I shared some snippets of. And the number of you that also knew that song was just cracking me up. I was like, I don't even know anybody else knew this song. I thought this was so random and so many of you were like, oh my gosh, it's Taylor the Latte Boy. Um, so I appreciated that and for the time being, if you're listening to this live, I have it uh, saved on my pinned Instagram story. So head over to Instagram, send me a DM, let me know your thoughts. Thank you so much for being here and if you could take just 20 seconds real quick swipe up tap five stars leave a review so that other folks are able to uh, find this podcast and see that this is a cool community and crew and they should listen in and then come join us over on instagram and specifically instagram stories where we are hanging out most every day i will see you next wednesday my dear with grace and gumption till next wednesday